Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another Tuesday evening. It's time for That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe you've never tuned into the program before and you're not sure what it's about. This program is about truth, what God's Word says. God's Word being our one source of truth, unchangeable truth in this life that we live. And I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is our teacher for this program, Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Nathan, and good evening to those who take the time to listen to the program, and also for those of you who either call the church office or met me in person and expressed positive sentiments about the program. Thank you so very much. No matter what medium you are joining us via, We are honored that you are tuned in this evening, and we're going to jump right into the material this evening. And we choose a different topic. Uh, Some topics are relating to everyday life. Some topics are relating to uh, Bible teaching or Bible prophecy. And that's what we're continuing tonight is the topic of Bible prophecy. For I believe it's about 10 or 11 weeks now, Pastor has been going through Bible prophecy and end times. And what does the Bible say? What do we know for sure? Now, Pastor, in last session, you wrapped up by mentioning that the Antichrist reign will last three and a half years. Is that just a random number, or what's the basis for that conclusion? Well, it is true that at the uh, tri- tribulation period last seven years. Um, and it, it's true that during this period of time, uh, he's going to have some kind of influence, and eventually he will rise to world prominence. But the period of his rule uh, that the Bible talks about, uh, when he will dominate the world, is the last three and a half years of his reign. And this period is stated in many different ways uh, in Scripture, not only in the book of Revelation, but also in the book of Daniel. And perhaps you can um, share that with the audience tonight by looking at some of these references. Nathan, if you look at uh, Revelations 11.3 and uh, Revelations 13.5, you'll see that there's a period of 42 months that are mentioned there. All right, 11.3 says... And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Right, that is um, actually 1260 days. If you take 1260 days and you um, divide it into the prophetic period of 30 days per month, you'll find you get three and a half years. And the reason why I gave it that reference is because after they've done that 1260 days, the Antichrist kills them. Uh, so that is one reference uh, to the fact that um, there's 1260 days involved in his reign. If you look at um, 13.5, Revelation 13.5. 13.5 says, 
And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. That's the forty-two months. You take forty-two months, divide it by twelve, you get three and a half years. So clearly he's given that period of power for three and a half years. If you also look at um, uh, the book of Daniel, well, well look at um, Revelations twelve fourteen. 12.14 says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That is, that, that's, that's, uh, you notice that times and times, that is at one time, one year, times two years, three and a half years. The reason why I give you that is tied into the book of Daniel. If you look at Daniel uh, 7.25, Daniel 7.25 says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into, the, into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. Same period. You see the correlation between the two, the dovetailing of Daniel into the book of uh, Revelation. And also, if you look at uh, Daniel 12, 7, uh, you see a reference there to times, times, and a half a time again. Daniel 12, 7 reads, And I heard a, the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, and it shall be a time times and a half. Same reference to the Daniel occasion. You notice that it's either 1260, which is three and a half years, either 42 months is three and a half years, or it is times, times, time, times, time and a half. All of that is, is basically saying the same thing. His predominant rule is going to be for that three and a half year period. Remember, he comes to power as a great peacemaker. And eventually he signed the peace pact with Israel, and then in the midst of that peace pact, which was last for seven years, he then displays his his, um, his real colors, and that is where he began to dominate uh, the world. But um, so we believe that uh, when you look at the biblical teaching, whether you look at the forty-two months or the twelve sixty days or the times time times and a half a time, the the emphasis there is on that part of his rule that he will dominate the world and especially he will bring a great persecution against Israel. So that's why we said it's his, uh, his predominant rule will be three and a half years. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.37. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program and we would love for you to interact with us. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is one two six eight. 462-7420 or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text you can send it to 268-782-1454 we're glad that you're tuned in to the program tonight now pastor if the Antichrist is going to rule for three and a half years and I think any believer who has read scripture and studied it is pretty confident that the rapture could happen at any time Th those that believe in the rapture, uh, just based on the verses that talk about end times and how the world is going to become more and more chaotic, whether it be from a political standpoint or from a natural disaster standpoint. My question to you is, is there any way that we as believers will know 
who the Antichrist is before the rapture happens, or we're going to have to wait till we're in heaven to look down and see? Well, the truth of the matter, there's been an obsession with trying to identify uh, who this Antichrist is, be, uh, is and uh, they've come up with some of the most bizarre uh, answers. As a matter of fact, if you were to study the, the issue, you'll find that there are a lot of names uh, that um, people have suggested and uh, some of those names and some of those candidates include Napoleon, for example. Uh, many of the popes, various, various popes, have been identified as the Antichrist. Mussolini was identified as the Antichrist. Hitler, uh, Kissinger, uh, even Gorbachev and uh, Bill Clinton and, and Ronald Reagan. I mean, if you if you look at the list, it's a uh, it's quite a uh, impressive list. But the problem with trying to uh, identify the Antichrist, really, it, it's a, you know the attempt is draws attention uh, to it, and then it becomes a, a bit disappointment. And there's a danger, therefore, of trying to identify who he's going to be. What I can say this in the book of Second Thessalonians, um, we're told about when he will come on the scene, and uh, Paul lets us know that. Before he comes on the scene, two things must happen. In um, that portion of um, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, if you would just read that for us, uh, well, Nathan would appreciate that. First Thessalonians? Yeah. Second Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2. Read from verse number 1 to verse number 3, please. Okay. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Yeah, the point I'm making here is that um, before the Antichrist comes on the scene um, to be recognized, two things are essential. First of all, there's going to be religious apostasy, the falling away. And that has to do with uh, re uh, people rejecting uh, biblical truth and repudiating scripture and going away from biblical truth. And the other thing is that uh, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Now, we know this, that the uh, rapture occurs before the revelation. Uh, we know that very clearly. And as a matter of fact, what is called in the Old Testament and the New Testament the day of the Lord, uh, the day of the Lord is nothing, is not a surprise. The day of the Lord is revealed not only in the Old Testament, also revealed in the New Testament. But when it comes to the rapture, the rapture was a truth that was preserved for the New Testament. That's why it's called a mystery. Um, but uh, so the revelation is what Paul is dealing with here in Second Thessalonians chapter two, and of course he's dealing with people who uh, were misled uh, into believing that somehow the, the Lord had returned and they were now living through the tribulation period. That's what that was he thinking. That's what Paul is responding here. And of course they were going through persecution, and Paul is saying to them, "No, you, you, you know this hasn't occurred yet. This is going to occur, but this is what must precede it." Now. The rapture occurs before the re revelation, uh, the second coming of our Lord. Um, the rapture occurs before that. So there's no way that a believer would be in a position to know who the Antichrist is because Paul gives you the specific signs that will proceed, and there's no sign that precedes the need for the rapture. So if a person is able to identify the rapture, I've got bad news for you, you were left behind. Uh, but you, you would not be able to do that. And look, I don't think we should spend time wasting 
time trying to find out who the Antichrist was, is, and he will be revealed in, in, in his time. What we need to concentrate on is the living Christ and how we can serve him and salvage a generation that is lost and uh, try to reach that generation. So let us focus not on the Antichrist, but let's focus on the living Christ and his task that he's assigned us to do as believers. But for the person who says, that's kind of disappointing, why did God give us all these details and human nature is we're kind of drawn to the antagonist or to a dramatic situation. So why did God give us these details if we're not supposed to figure it out before? Well, remember that we are not the only generation. There's going to be a generation after us. When the church is raptured, you're going to have people that are going to be saved. The, the book of Revelation says a great multitude that no man can number for every tribe, every nation, etc., etc. So there's no doubt that uh, what we are doing today uh, has relevance to the future. So if we're teaching these kind of things to make people aware of it, even though they are not may not respond to the gospel and they may not take it very seriously, when the church is raptured, I think there's going to be an earth-shaking experience that the world has never uh, could never comprehend. And I think that's going to cause a lot of people to start thinking, maybe these Christians were right after all. We've heard this thing, but we never believed it. And I think that will put people to try to find out from Scripture, start searching the Bible. And that is where this information becomes valuable. But there's nothing wrong in the believer being informed. Believers should be intelligent believers and not be able to understand the Bible. But what we must be concerned about is that we don't get absorbed with these issues and remember that some historical data has to happen, events have to take place before things become very, very clear. And uh, our job mainly is to uh, fulfill the Great Commission, carry the gospel to the end of the world, serve the living Christ. And while it is useful to know that Antichrist is coming, we must not be biting our nails and spending time trying to figure out who he is when the Bible hasn't given us all the specifics about him as yet. As, as the historical period continues and more information comes in, I think it will become much clearer to those who are alive at that point in time that this is the Antichrist that the Bible talks about. The name of the program is That's Truth, and we're talking specifically about end times and Bible prophecy tonight. Do you have a question about the end times, maybe about the rapture, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast? Give us a call. The phone number is 268-462-7420. It's been a while since I shared this information about Pastor Murphy, and uh, and often or I occasionally have people ask me where Pastor is from or a little bit of information about him. So if you are a new listener to The Lighthouse, let me just share this for just a minute. Pastor is originally from Barbados. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, a Master's degree in Religion, Doctorate degree in Counseling, Ongoing studies with the Blackford Counseling Center in England. He's constantly reading and studying. He's been married for going on 40 years. Public school teacher for four years. He worked in management for three years. Marketing for four years. Evangelism in Barbados for two years. Ministered and pastored in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for a total of over 30 years. He's preached in many churches throughout the Caribbean. And the reason I share all that information is to let you know that when you hear him teaching, he's not, yes, his teaching is coming from Scripture, and that's his basis, but he's not just some fly-by-night uh, person who wants to hear himself on the radio. He's studied this out, 
and he's here to answer your questions from a biblical perspective. And he's very practical. He knows what it's like to work in the secular workforce. And so if you have a question, maybe a concern that relates to your everyday life, give us a call, send a WhatsApp or a text message, and we'd be glad to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. Pastor, the mark of the beast, what is it? Is that a fair question to even ask you? Yeah, I think it's a fair question because uh, of all the biblical issues in relation to prophecy, this is perhaps, uh, there's more wild speculation about this than perhaps any other subject. And I think um, everybody wants to know what the mark of the beast is. If you look at Revelations 13, 18, uh, Nathan, you'll find a reference there. And we're told that the number um, is a specific number that will characterize uh, the beast. And um, if you read it for me, please, I'll appreciate that. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Right. So there's no question that there's a number that is given six six six. We probably see, heard that or seen that. Um, how do you interpret um, that that? Six six six. Well, let me say two things about it. Um, first of all, I think it's significant that the number is six 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 because the number of six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth. If you know Bible numerology, you know the number six is man. The number three is the number of, of deity. So really, this is this is deified man. This is six six six. This is this is man claiming to be God, and this is a man that uh, will come to prominence and. Uh, just like all the major um, non-Christian religions have been emphasizing that man has a spark of divinity in him, the problem is that he's ignorant and he needs to have the knowledge to bring into a higher consciousness of who he really is, this would be the person that really brings that to realization. So whether it be the New Age movement or the higher consciousness movement or the Word of Faith movement or Hinduism, they all say basically the same thing, that we are part of God, we got uh, the divinity in us, but we just are not aware of our identity. And they're all moving us in the direction of higher. This is the guy who will come on the scene and make no, he's not timid about it at all. He's claiming that he's God manifest in human flesh. So it's not, it's not without significance that it's 666, the number of man compounded with the Trinity, the, the Trinity with the three. So I think this is the God man that, uh, or the man God, however you want to put it, uh, that most groups today are really pushing in, in that direction. The other thing is that in Revelation 3.18, he has a designation of 666. And one of the things that will help us to decrypt this meaning of this is um, there is a study um, or something in the in language called the uh, Gematria, which um, languages like um, Hebrew and Latin and um, Greek, each, each letter of the Greek language has a a numerical value. Each letter of the Hebrew language has a numerical value. And it, it is possible every name in um, Hebrew and Greek has a number because all you do is to put the number to the letters and then add it up. So uh, if it is believed that let me use an example, by the way. The, the Hebrew language has 24, 22 uh, letters in it. And these are the numbers attributed to the 24 numbers. 1, 2, 3, 4, up to 10. 
Then the next one is 20, then it's 30, then it's 40, then it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. And then you go to 200, 300, up to 400. When you take that up, that is the 24 letters of the alphabet, uh, the, Greek, the Hebrew alphabet. Now if you take a person's name in Hebrew and use the, uh, the letters and then use the equivalent numbers, you, every name would have a number. It's believed that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, those who are informed and those who are knowledgeable of, of um, theology would be able to um, actually take this name and put the value to, to, the, to each letter and come up with the number 666. That seems to me to be the only logical explanation. It's not something that we do in the Western world, but in the Hebrew language, the Greek language, um, and the Latin language, uh, every single letter in the alphabet has a value. For example, we do Roman numerals. Uh, V3I is 8, V with 3 eyes, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, and that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. I think that this is one of the ways that they'll discover. And by the way, that's why uh, people like Reagan and Gorbachev and Hitler, they took their names and gave the Hebrew equivalent to those names, and it all came to 666. So they said, ah, this is the Antichrist. And that's the danger hmm. of um, running ahead of Scripture. But I do believe that when he comes on the world scene, they would be able to use Gematria. Uh, to be able to discover that this man must be the one because the Bible says the number of his name is 666. And this is something that the Hebrews would do, the Greeks would do, but so much we don't do it so much in the English world because it's not a practice that we do. But it is um, something that is logical and makes sense. And I think that is probably the way in which we'll be able to identify the, the Antichrist. That's interesting. And to read the verse now with that in light has a little bit different meaning I'll just read it again. Uh, Revelation thirteen eighteen says, Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and the his number is six hundred three score and six. If I was living in the in the days uh, when the Antichrist arrives, and I had that in my my um, my hand, and I understand that the a Hebrew language and the Greek language have a number for each letter, I would be able to simply calculate. I said he got to be the guy because that's his name, and it comes up to that number. So I think that is one of the signs that will be given in the uh, in the end that will help people to be informed that the Antichrist has arrived and uh, he's about to come and dominate the world scene. So, just a question for the, the news junkie or the person who's out there who likes current events and likes to relate it to Scripture. We know the Bible's practical. So, as I'm listening to BBC News, mm -hmm. and I hear of a new uh, player on the political scene who seems to be getting a lot of uh, following, is it appropriate for me to plug his name into Google, into matching those numbers and seeing if it, or is that going no, too I, far? No, I, I don't think it is. Look, you read the Bible and read the newspaper, uh, and because you've got to be informed of what's going on in the world scene. For example, uh, I believe uh, the believers are going to be raptured before the Antichrist is revealed. But if I were to hear a European leader signing a seven-year peace pact with Israel, uh, promising that they can rebuild the temple, my whole theology would be turned upside down. But I, I can't avoid listening to what is going on. And I think God's people ought to be informed. I think they ought to be aware of what's happening in the world events. And there are things that you've got to look at. For example, what's going on in the Middle East right now, quite frankly. Um, again, we'll come to Ezekiel hopefully sometime. But it's very, very clear that the geopolitical alignment that the Bible talks about in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is taking place right now in the Middle East. I mean, how did Russia get back in there? In my generation, mm. in your generation. How, how is that Iran is not aligning itself with Russia? 
I mean, it is, it's, it's fascinating when you look at um, the Ezekiel passage, being to look at that. It, it just, man alive, this thing is beginning to make shape. So I think believers ought to be informed, and we ought to keep our keep abreast what's going on in the world, especially what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in Europe. I think those are the two major areas. That uh, and then of course the King of the East, which is going to be China. Uh, the thing I would say to people that the 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 King of the North, the King of the East, and the King of the South, uh, and the and the the Western powers, those are already those are players already on the scene. The final configuration is what I'm looking for. But at no time in in history has those failed major players that the Bible talks about ever been contemporaneous, and they are today. So that tells you that really times are very very short, and we just got to keep our eyes open to what. Uh, it's coming, uh, but again, we're looking for Christ. You're not looking for the Antichrist. Pastor, I was talking to a listener today, and they've been reading some articles about this new disease that seems to be coming out of China and seems to be spreading, and the concern, it's kind of like a pneumonia-like respiratory disease. And they shared that it made them a little bit nervous, a uh, little bit of anxiety caused by that. What advice do you have for the believers, seeing new things that are coming on the scene that doctors don't necessarily have a, a sure answer for? I, I would say that um, if you look at the prediction that's given in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, things that will precede uh, the Lord's return, he talked about pestilences. And they'll be increasing. And, and, and I'm not surprised that we're going to come into... Take take Ebola, for example. Uh, there's no cure for Ebola, and that was a disease that has just appeared in my time and your time, to be very honest with you. But there's no cure for it. Imagine one single person arriving in Antigua with Ebola. Hmm. It could wipe out the whole, the whole population, to be honest with you. Hmm. So I'm not surprised that these things are happening. Um, uh, all I would say to people that look at the prophetic clock if you begin to see that uh, things begin to happen on them, you ought to be concerned because it's all pointing towards the soon return of Christ for His church. So I would I would uh, be disposed to reevaluate my life, where my standing is with Christ, and uh, prepare to meet our God because this th- you know He's been two thousand years. And by the way, there is a comparison here. If you look at from Abraham, from Adam to, to uh, Abraham is about 2,000 years. From Abraham to Christ is about 2,000 years. From Christ until he returns about 2,000 years. So it, 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 there seems to be a symmetry there somehow. Hmm. And I think there's a feeling, a general feeling with those who are informed and not have their heads buried in the sand, that we can't get much worse than this. And take, take his prophecies as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Uh, that is coming to pass. Um, everything seems to be converging. Who would have thought? We, we know the days of Lot, by the way, where there's a, got this aggressive homosexuality that is on the world scene, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're willing to break down the door if they don't get what they want. This is where we are. Uh, and I think anybody that begins to study Bible prophecy, it doesn't take you long before you begin to understand that we're living in a time, an unprecedented time of fulfilled Bible prophecy. And also, it presages that something is going to happen very, very soon. And this new disease coming on the scene that they don't seem to be able to know what this uh, particular, like has mutated to become something else. It's just like the uh, the AIDS virus. Uh, it can mutate. The other, th- All viruses can mutate. And that 
is the problem of trying to solve like they talk about solving the AIDS problem within 12 years I heard uh, President Trump said that I'm not sure that is going to be possible because it can mutate and become something different I don't think they've ever found a cure to my knowledge uh, a, a doctor can tell me a medical doctor but I don't think they've ever found a cure for virus uh, and I don't know to expect that we're going to have some more serious things along the line. But it's a matter of great concern. And if we continue down this moral path of degradation, accommodating um, um, the same-sex marriage and, and all this kind of stuff, I'm going to suggest to you that there are going to be more sexual diseases than we have. we already got 26 sexual diseases out there that can wipe, wipe you out. And I suspect that if we continue down this path, there are going to be consequences. There's a moral universe and God rules the universe and we cannot commit sin with impunity and violate his principles without suffering the consequences. And I would not be surprised that uh, along with this virus you're talking about that way down the line we get another virus that is somehow sexually related as well because we're in a point, a point of real corruption and, and degradation. Pastor, we have a text message that has come in from Parham County, Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. It says, Good night. How do you know when someone is for you? When someone is for you? Yeah. I'm not too sure if the person is referring to an individual. Uh, but I would I would think, if, it's, if, if, you, know, if you mean that, uh, oh, you know that God will be for you, I don't know if that's what the person means. I'm, I'm conjecturing here now. But I would say that one of the ways that you would know somebody's really for you would be how they respond to you, how they treat you, and what they, what they request of you. For example, anybody that goes into the Bible know that God is for man because he not only warns man about going against his word and the consequences, but he's always appealing to man to turn around and change and return to him. I mean, you can't read the Bible without seeing God said that. Let the unrighteous man forsake his way, uh, ungodly man forsake his ways, and the righteous man his thoughts, and return to the Lord. As far as an individual is concerned, I would say it would relate basically to your, the treatment of yourself and how to speak uh, about you and to you. That is one of the ways, and the kind kind acts towards you. But remember that sometimes as well, people show you kindness out of deception. They have ulterior motives, so you still got to be very watchful. But I would think the general attitude of the person towards me and uh, and uh, the way they treat me, that would be an indication to me that whether or not they really are for me and really appreciate uh, appreciate me. That, that how I would respond, not knowing all the details of what the person is talking about. Thank you to the individual who sent that in. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8 o'clock. We still have 60 minutes left in the program, so go ahead and contact us with your questions. You can call and be put live on the air, one 462 7420 You can WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. Pastor, did you have anything else you wanted to mention about the Mark of the Beast? No, I just I just think that um, that I really believe that geometria is the is the is the way that people would be able to discuss. It makes sense when you read it. It's actually a number of men, and uh, the fact that this is something that is common to the Hebrew language and the Greek language in which the Bible was written, I think that is going to be the key as far as that is concerned. Now, of course, the Seventh Day Adventists uh, say that the mark of the beast, uh, those that worship on Sunday will receive the mark of the beast. That's that's bogus. That's that's not what the Bible is teaching at all whatsoever. So I'd just like to say to the public that um, you. Read your Bible for yourself, and, and uh, it's very, very clear uh, that this will take place in the future, and it has nothing to do with worshiping on any, any particular Sunday whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you'll discover later on that the, the motive behind it really is to create uh, worship of the beast. While we're talking of the mark of the beast, is it possible for a person 
who has taken the mark of the beast to be saved. I know we kind of brushed on this a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, we want to spend uh, some time on it again. Well, uh, if you look in uh, Revelations 13, 15 to 17, it's, it's very clear there in the passage of Scripture that the beast and the false prophet working jointly together uh, will impose an economic agenda on the world, and people will have to make a monumental decision as to what you're going to do. Uh, they're going to pledge loyalty to the, the, the beast, the coming Antichrist, uh, or are they going to be faithful and, and hold to, to, to God's truth? Because there'll be a battle going on on planet Earth, even as it continues today, uh, between uh, truth and falsehood, between God and, and satanic powers. But the beast will come up with an economic plan uh, where he will enforce uh, economic coercion to enforce worship uh, of the beast. If you read that passage, you see that's very clearly taught there in Revelations thirteen fifteen to 17. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And verse 17 says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. You see the power of economic coercion there. Uh, and by the way, we are faced with a similar situation here in the third world countries. There's no doubt that the developed world, uh, the Western world powers, have a social moral agenda that they are trying to implement on all countries of the world. Uh, and that, of course, is to do two things. Number one, they want to legalize, um, uh, normalize homosexuality. It's very, very clear that's their agenda, whether it be the European powers, whether now it's America or England. You find that that is the agenda. And the other thing, of course, is to uh, uh, sanction and legalize same-sex marriage. That is also on the agenda. But how do you get that agenda in force in these third world countries? You use aid, you use finances, you use grants, and they withhold grants and financial assistance to these these countries unless they yield to the social agenda of these uh, these rich European countries. Uh, and by the way, not many of the Caribbean countries are willing to pay the economic consequence of not doing that. So what are we doing? We're changing our laws, and we're trying to accommodate them because we want aid, we want assistance. Now, if a simple matter like this is causing our people to fold, and not take a stand for truth, for that which is right. Can you imagine what it would be in the end times when the, this man has complete uh, power over the, the whole world economic system? And he insists. You can't buy, you can't sell. What does it mean? You can't do any kind of commerce. You can't get anything from the shops unless you have the mark of the beast. Now, if we don't have the courage right now to stand up to this kind of nonsense that is trying to uh, infiltrate our, our culture and change our culture, I don't see that uh, people would have the the fortitude and the courage to take a stand in that day. We don't like pain. And anything that uh, kind of touches our pocket and affects our finances, we tend to be more uh, uh, pragmatic and less um, um, inclined to hold to our moral and, and spiritual truths. And I think this is what's happening. By the way, the word mark there in the Greek word is the word Sharagma, and it really means a brand or tattoo. 
I uh, and I, I when I when I saw that word, by the way, that is a brand or a tattoo. The fascination with tattoos today is amazing. Why would people put tattoos all over the body? Like I think I, I see people doing. But if they're doing that, but just all over the body, what's wrong with just receiving a nice? Uh, attractive mark either the forehead or the hand so it, it, the whole culture today uh, the whole ambience of the, the world's atmosphere seemed to me to be really leading in that direction but um, if you don't receive the mark of the beast and uh, you, you have no economic clout you have no means of, of buying or purchasing or, or doing commerce and by the way the technology is already in place to be able to do exactly what the beast would want in that period of time but once a person has received that mark, uh, it is very, very clear uh, from the book of Revelation, if you look at 13, 17, uh, sorry, Revelation 14, 9 to 11, uh, our Lord makes a comment there, Revelation 14, 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lord and of the Lamb. It can't be much clearer than that, that yeah. if you take the mark of the beast. Now, I, I, I know there's an issue. Uh, I think somebody sent in a, uh, a question last time and uh, pointed out uh, that John MacArthur had made some comments that um, if you receive the mark of the beast, it's not the unpardonable sin. My, my, I was thinking about that. Uh, uh, about that, I think in our dispensation, the, the unpardonable sin is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But we're moving into a different dispensation. We're moving into the dispensation of tribulation. I think the unpardonable sin would be there to want to receive the mark of the beast. It can be clearer than Scripture. If you receive the, the, the mark of the beast, uh, the Bible makes it very clear there is absolutely no hope for you. You would be uh, uh, pour the wrath of God upon you, be tormented before the angel, holy angels and the Lamb. So I don't think once a person receives the mark of the beast during that period of time, there is absolutely no way that that person can be saved. I think that person damns, is damned eternally once they've accepted the, the, the mark of the beast. And by the way, the, the economic coercion, uh, which would people prefer today? Starvation? Or surrendering their religion, surrendering their religion. Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly. And imagine uh, th this is why economic coercion is such a powerful force in in molding people to do your agenda. And the Europeans are very good at it. The only group in the world right now that is standing up to these um, this social moral agenda are the Africans. They've already uh, indicated very very clearly they'll eat grass before they they bow and kowtow to these uh, the social agenda. But they could do it because they have la large land masses, they've got resources. We in the Caribbean, uh, if it's going to jeopardize our tourism industry, if we don't legalize this and legalize that, I think that uh, governments are more pragmatic and be willing to, to yield to these kind of powers because of the economic coercion. It's, it's a terrible thing, but it's going to happen. But you can see uh, how effective it's going to be in the end times to have this economic clout that you can't do commerce, you can't buy unless you take the mark. And I don't feel that we uh, today, if the Antichrist was alive, I don't get that the people have the moral character to be willing to make any sacrifice. Because remember, if you don't receive the mark, not only can you not um, sell and buy, but there's also martyrdom where you die for your faith. And I don't think that we have been spiritually prepared and have that kind of a mindset. Um, I think today people's belly 
and people's uh, wallets pretty much dominate their lives and control their lives and that's the perilous state in which we find ourselves today and it's going to get worse so you can imagine when he comes on the scene uh, the whole moral character of people is far more weaker than it is today and I can see it happening quite easily. But isn't it true that um, persecution purifies the church and I realize the church will have been raptured at this point but true believers uh, it separates the wheat from the tares. Yeah, of course. Uh, it is said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And uh, for example, the church in um, the church in, in China is 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 growing. I mean, if you know how many millions of, of professed mm-hmm. believers, that, but again, they're underground. They can't do it publicly. I just read an article this week about the church in Iran. They expect it's, it's, millions. Oh man, it's going by leaps and bounds. And the thing about it, Nathan, that miraculous things are happening. People who are coming to faith in Iran are talking about Christ appearing to them. Yeah. angels appearing to them. I mean, it's a different world. We live in a different world. In the Western world, we become so educated and so smart that the supernatural no longer appeals to us. But in that part of the world, everything is spiritual. Same thing when you go to Africa. I mean, there's a spirit behind everything. So they have a spiritual mindset. They're looking for these kind of things. We don't have that kind of faith because I think science, has, to some extent, has robbed us of that mysterious capacity of life. So we try to explain everything by natural law. But uh, in that part of the world, whether it be uh, China or whether it be Iran or, uh, or those Muslim countries, the churches, that, or India as well, where you've got the, the great lead of Muslim, um, Hindus, mm. and there are pastors that are killed regularly uh, as a result of their faith. But you find that wherever you get persecution and you get martyrdom, you find that the church doesn't decrease, it increases because people are looking for something real, something authentic. And everybody knows that what uh, Satan said is true. What would a man not give to save his flesh? So when a man is willing to surrender his life for his faith, that impacts, I don't care who it is, it impacts, this is this is real, this is not something uh, that is, is ordinary, and I think that appeals to people, and that's why in the New Testament when they had persecution, the church was growing and growing and growing and growing, rather than diminishing. Pastor, we have a text message from St. Kitts. Good night. What is meant by the phrase, you win the battle but not the war? You win the battle, but not the war. Well, we normally say that of Satan, uh, basically, that the war is won because Christ has won the war for us. But along the, 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 the war is when it's completely over. The battles are those interim periods of battles that we have. So sometimes, take the Christian life. We know that we are already sealed, and we know that we are eternally secure in Christ. So we know that the battle is over in terms of our eternal destiny. But there are battles we face in life until we get there, until Christ returns. And some of those battles we can lose some of those battles. We can win some of those battles. So the whole idea is that within the whole, um, if you have a, a continuum, you've got the final victory and where you are presently, between where you are until you come to the final victory, there is a battle going on and you are going to be faced with battles along the way until you come to the final destiny. But you might lose some of those battles in, in temptation. You, you win some of them. So that's what it really is conveying that you can, you, you, you overall you're guaranteed of your security. Overall you're guaranteed of victory. Christ won victory for us. But until he returns, we will face individual battles, and some of those battles we may win, some of those battles we will lose, but the actual victory and triumph we will is secured for us in Christ. In the context of just like a, a family relationship, uh, that would be said, in other words, you may 
win this argument, but I'm going to have the final say. That's the idea that you're saying there? Uh, uh, well, in a sense, but also I think what the person is thinking, because it's an expression that I hear, we hear often, we, we won the war, and uh, or they maybe say the devil has won this battle, but he hasn't won the war. It means that the battle against us, uh, that we, we're fighting individual battle, t- take the matter of temptation for whatever reason, mm-hmm. a weakness that you have. Um, Obviously, that you know, we should not let sin dominate our lives. But it's possible that in a in, in an area of moral weakness, it is possible that we fall and we lose that battle. But we are guaranteed ultimate triumph. So the battle is lost along the way, but the victory is finally assured. So it's it, it's just one of those things that um, an expression that talks about periodically in our Christian walk. We, there's some battles that we will lose, some battles we will win, but the ultimate victory is assured for us that uh, whether we win or lose those battles, Christ is guaranteed our eternal security and our eternal life. Another question coming from St. Kitts. How will people be saved during the Great Tribulation, and will the Holy Spirit be available during the Tribulation? Well, the Holy Spirit is available before um, the Church came on the scene. In the in the uh, Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit was operative. Remember, the Holy Spirit has always been the agency of conviction. In, in Genesis chapter 6, for example, at the time of the flood, it said, My spirit shall not always thrive with man. And it is very, very clear that there is speaking about during that period of time when the world had become totally corrupt, the Holy Spirit was actually restraining and he was trying to bring men to truth. He's always been operative in trying to bring men to the truth. So, but the thing with the, the age in which we live called the church age, the Holy Spirit uh, did something unique at uh, in the church age. He comes to indwell the believer. In the Old Testament, he came upon believers. He came upon Samson. He came upon David. But he did not take a permanent abode within uh, those Old Testament people. But when we got saved and we became justified before God and God treats us as righteous, because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it enables God to allow His Spirit to dwell within the believer, even though we still have a sinful nature, because God sees us positionally in Christ. But in the in the rapture, after the chapters occur, the Holy Spirit goes, the restrainer goes, but it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not active uh, on planet Earth, but He will not be as active as it was, and He would not be indwelling uh, as He did in the church age. Um, I would say that people are going to get saved. Um, number one, if the rapture occurred and you were on planet Earth, and uh, millions of people disappeared in an instant, and uh, you begin to see a new flash all over the place, and you had any modicum of biblical knowledge, uh, and you heard about the rapture before, I think it would dawn on you that something supernatural has happened, and something I didn't believe all my life, finally, it has now dawned on me that this has really, really happened. The other thing is that, um, you know, it doesn't mean that the Bible disappears when the rapture occurs. Churches would be empty, pastors are not there. I suspect people would be visiting churches if I know if the pastor's gone, or if the members are gone, I suspect that. And that would shake people up. Believe me, it would shake people up. People start searching for the truth. And then when this man come on the scene called the Antichrist, and those that have <coughs> wisdom, as the Bible says, who have perhaps never studied the book before, but learned about Revelation and Daniel, go to Daniel and see they can sign a seven-year peace track with Daniel. Uh, and then he will... Um, set up his image in the temple. I mean, all of these are things that you'll be seeing on the, on the news. I think that will awaken people 
to, and then of course there's 144,000 Jews that will become the evangelists. Now they're not Jehovah's Witness. 144,000 Jews that will become the evangelists going all over the world preaching the kingdom of God is coming. They will be the ones as well that will uh, be instrumental in leading people to faith in Christ. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program on Tuesday nights, we are also on the medium of Facebook Live. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. No matter how you're joining us tonight, I am excited and thankful that you are. And we are here to answer your questions. We have one more question coming from St. Kitts, but before I give that to you, Pastor, let me just remind each person listening how they can get in touch with us. They can call and be put live on the air, and the phone number to do that is 268-462-7420. 268-462-7420. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 one four five four. If you're on Facebook Live, you can comment your questions under the video feed. Pastor, an individual from St. Kitts has a third question. They ask, can you please explain what is meant by the phrase, the body is world conscious? Well, I, I would interpret that to mean that uh, world conscious means that the body is the your part of you that is aware of the environment around you. In other words, it's through your, your senses in your body, the five senses. So when it talks about your body as the world conscious part of you, it's referring to the fact that uh, your body relates to the, the physical environment in which you live. And the senses in your body um, is, can receive messages uh, because they are programmed uh, to have a stimulus and get a response so the the body that that's what i would interpret that to mean that the body conscious mean that you're aware of your environment and um the body relates to the, the world around you of course that's why you talk the spirit can relate to god and also that the soul relates to your your, your self-consciousness that it makes you aware that you're an individual and you have intellect uh you have emotions and you have will that's what that would mean. But the physical part has to do with the fact that the body is the means to which you can interact with the environment and respond to the environment. Pastor, as we continue to talk about Bible prophecy and the Antichrist, is it true that the Antichrist will be killed and resurrected? There is in the book of Revelation a clear indication that somehow the Antichrist is going to be a de receive a deadly wound. We're not told if that would be an assassination attempt, or we're not told exactly who is going to do it. But the Bible does teach that he is going to experience a, uh, a, um, a deadly wound that uh, would be fatal. And it would seem from the scriptures that he is, is going to die, uh, and somehow he's going to be resuscitated. Now, is, is, is this going to be something that is fake? Is this something going to be real? The book of uh, Revelations indicates that it seemed to be a very real experience. Now remember, he's the Antichrist. He has to imitate Christ. And the same way Christ died and was resurrected, uh, it seems that this is the way that he is going to uh, imitate Christ and uh, demonstrate that um, that he is supernatural. If you look at some references there, uh, Revelations 13, verse 3 to 4. 
Okay, Revelation 13, page, verse 3 50. says, uh -huh. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Yeah, the beast is one of the seven heads. We'll come to that later. But notice that one is, is, is wounded and it's, it's wounded unto death and is healed. If you look also at Revelation thirteen twelve, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Same thing. See, he's going, he's going to be wounded, and this deadly wound is going to be healed. And then if you look at uh, Revelation 17, 8. 17, verse 8 says, And the beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell in the earth shall wonder whose name were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was was and is not and yet is. See, that's the same. They believe that this is where most Bible scholars believe that he actually dies, goes into the abyss, which is the underworld, and then somehow he's resurrected and brought back to life. You know, if you there are certain books, by the way, that talk near life experience. I don't know if you haven't read many of them, but there are people who have actually, um, if you read and you take the word for it, who've actually gone. Uh, to that other part of the world and return. I think this is going to be a similar experience for this person, and uh, this is going to be part of his attraction. That they, it's very obvious that the world would see that he is going to be either assassinated or, or attempted to to kill him, and he's going to get this deadly wound, and then it's going to be assumed that the man is dead. And then suddenly the same man that you thought was dead a week ago, he now is, is back alive. Imagine the impact that will have uh, on the world, and and then you can hear him saying, "I say, I told you, I'm God. I'm God. I told you, it was God." The world is looking for a Superman, and he is going to be the Superman the world is looking for because the, the Christ of God has come. They refuse to accept him, and he said, "I come in my name, and you refuse me." Another one is coming in his own name, and you're going to accept him. And I think this is the one that's going to come. But I think part of his attraction is going to be this miraculous restoration after he's been resuscitated out of this death experience. Then he, he, he uh, clinical claim that he's uh, just as powerful as Christ, and uh, he went to death and he came back out victoriously. The world would dote after man like that because the world is looking for something supernatural, and I think he's going to give the, he's going to be the total package. Pastor, one thing that I've always found interesting is different types in the Bible, uh, the types of Jesus Christ that you find in the Old Testament. Are there only types of the positive things, or can you find types of the Antichrist throughout the Bible? Yeah, I think there's not only types of um, things that relate to Christ. I think, that, for example, uh, Noah's flood, um, the time of Sodom and Gomorrah that our Lord used, all of those are types. And when it comes to the Antichrist, uh, there's no question that there are types of what he will do uh, in the old in the Old Testament that help us to understand uh, what kind of person he will be and what kind of a, a domination he's going to have. Um, let me suggest some of the biblical types that you find of the Antichrist in the Old Testament. The first one I would suggest is Nimrod. You found that in uh, Genesis chapter ten, verse nine to twelve. Uh, Nimrod is depicted as the first world ruler. 
and he is able to form what is called the first worldwide organized uh, kingdom in rebellion against God. And uh, it is then, it happened in Tower Babel, and you find that God came down and God scattered the nations because uh, God had told um, to fill the earth. But at the Tower of Babel is when God scattered the, 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 the people in different, different tongues. If you look at Genesis 9 and 12 for just a moment, and then connect Genesis 9, uh, Genesis 10.10. T- uh, Genesis 10.10 10 yeah. says, And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel in Urich and Akkad and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Right. That is, if you read the passage before verse 9 and so on, you see that it's referring to Nimrod. The beginning of his kingdom was where? Babel. That's where it all started. Now, if you read chapter 11, verse um, chapter verse, chapter 11 of Genesis 1 to 9, you'll find that um, God came down and destroyed his kingdom and scattered the whole world because he had the first world empire. And uh, that and that gives you an idea of what the, the Antichrist is going to be. He's going to be a, a world leader that forms this global empire, but he forms this world, world empire in rebellion against God and what God said to fill the earth. Nimrod said, no, we will not fill the earth. We're going to have a kingdom. He started his kingdom. God came down and scattered the nations in chapter 11, verse 9 to 11. So the same Babel that he established, his kingdom was centered there, is the same Babel that where you've got the scattering of the nations and give them different languages. I think that's a type of a world empire established in rebellion against God, and God comes down and has to scatter. Another one, I think, would be Pharaoh, and the ruler of Egypt. You remember he oppressed God's people? And he called for genocide of the Jewish people. You remember the Antichrist is going to attack the nation of Israel and try to destroy the nation of Israel. Remember also that Pharaoh was openly defiant of God. Who is this God that I should let my people go? And then, uh, you remember he used the cult powers of his wise men to deceive the world. And when he deceived the people, the Antichrist would do a similar thing. He's going to be a world leader that opposes God's people, try to destroy Israel. He will defy God and he will use the signs and wonders of miraculous things to, to, to cause people to worship uh, the beasts. So I think that is also, he's also a type uh, of the Antichrist. And then Nebuchadnezzar is another classic one. Remember, he's a ruler of the Neo Babylonian Empire from about 605 BC to 562 BC. Uh, he was the arrogant person that boasted, This is not great Babylon that I have made. And then God turned his heart into an animal and he ate grass for seven years. Remember that? And then he erected an image, don't forget that, uh, that everybody should worship. And who didn't worship, uh, they suffered death. The Antichrist similarly is going to do the same thing. He's going to establish uh, an image, and he's going to demand that the image be worshipped. And the consequence of not worshipping the image is that they will be slain. By the way, he's the same guy in 586 B.C. that destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried the Jews into captivity. And the Antichrist is going to destroy the temple, put up an idol in the temple. And uh, so the parallel is there. And then, of course, Alexander the Great. I don't know if people are aware that he is mentioned in the Bible, not by name, but the description. Uh, He's found in Daniel chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. And he is the, uh, the... Ram, the, the the goat with the, the with the notable horn that runs into the ram. The ram, of course, is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then we're told that after his horn is broken, the first king, four kings come after him. And uh, but remember that uh, Alexander the Great, um, he conquered the world, 
Uh, he conquered um, Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt. He conquered um, uh, Babylonia and he conquered Persia, established a worldwide empire, and then he, sell, he, he spread what's called the Hellenistic culture. The thing about him as well that he declared himself to be a god, and at 33 years he died, same years that Christ died, 33 years old. So he was a type, uh, again, that he dominated the world, controlled the world, claimed to be God, and uh, uh, the fact that he, he, he uh, you know, that seemed to be. And if you read the, the book of Daniel, you will see that he is portrayed not as a symbol of that which is divine, but a symbol of that which is opposed to God. So I think he himself is an example. And then the other one I would, which is perhaps the best illustration of the Antichrist, is Antiochus Epiphanes, that is found in the book of Daniel, chapter eight. When uh, Nebuch- when um, sorry, when Alexander died uh, of debauchery uh, when he was only thirty-three years old, um, his kingdom was divided into four. And if you read the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 you'll find that when the horn is broken off, four small horns come up in place of the, the, the main horn those are the four generals that divided the kingdom. Uh, Cassander uh, took over Macedonia and Greece Lysimatius took over Tras Bithynia and what is called most of Asia Minor and then the guy called Seleucus, uh, he took over Syria and Babylonia and Ptolemy took over Egypt, Palestine, Arabia and Petria and there was a war between the Syrian kingdom, Seleucid kingdom of Syria, and the Ptolemy kingdom of of Egypt came out of the uh, the Alexandrian Empire. And uh, one of those people that came out of the Seleucid Empire is a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he is the guy that um, came against Israel, and he's the one that sacrificed a sow in the in the temple and put the the, the image of Zeus there, and and tried to destroy the nation of Israel. I think that. He is a perfect picture uh, of the Antichrist. His hatred for Israel, his uh, setting up his image of Zeus in the temple itself, sacrificing a sow on the altar, persecuting God's people. Uh, I think that, uh, and demanding, by the way, that uh, uh, that his image be worshipped. I think that he is another example of the the Antichrist. And the other one I think that would be a type of the Antichrist is Caesars, all the Caesars. Remember that the Caesars ruled the world and remember that all Caesars considered themselves to be gods and demanded that to be worshipped and you had to either throw incense at the altar to Caesar. I think that gives you an idea of the same thing, the anti. He comes in the world, he dominates the world, he claims to be God, he demands to be worshipped. So I think when you look into the Bible, there are those examples, I think, that manifest what the Antichrist is going to do. And notice that all of these, by the way, are in relation to Israel. And that's the whole thing about the tribulation period. It is The church is raptured, and God is now focusing on Israel in relation to the world. He's judging Israel and purifying Israel to bring the people back to himself because they rejected him. But at the same time, he's judging the world. And I think that in all of these cases, these are people that actually persecuted God's people and, and uh, in some way claimed to be some superior being and demanded worship. Pastor, these types, whether they be good types or bad types, do you think that this is really something that God, in his view of eternity, said, okay, this type is going to be there to remind people in the year 2020 of this or that? Or do you think it's just our human minds fabricating things and connecting dots that really don't need to be connected? Well, I will tell you this. 
I believe why there's so much doubt about the Bible is because people haven't done any study in Bible typology. I don't think anybody can study Bible typology without coming to the idea that this is a divine book. There's no way that this could have been a coincidence, that it just happened, or we're trying to read between the lines and create things that are not there. Whether it be, for example, uh, whether it be the, the ark, uh, you know, one door, Right? Everybody's destroyed, but there's one God closes the door. Uh, and that there was safety in the ark, Christ is our ark. Whether it be the Passover, where the New Testament said Christ is our Passover, whether it be the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that Christ is the, uh, we must enjoy the Feast of Unleavened Bread, etc., etc. Whether it be as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, says, son of the man be lifted. All of these are types. And anyone that really takes the time to take a book on Bible typology and study it would marvel at the symmetry and the order and the divine knowledge and insight and that God has included these things in, in His Word, to my mind, is one of the great confirmatory proofs that the Bible is the Word of God. Outside of prophecy, I think Bible typology would convince anybody who studies it in any detail that this is a divine book and God has ordered and put things in place because He anticipated that we would need these things. Pastor, do you believe that God creates some men to be lost or to be hardened against him from the very beginning? Well, I'll tell you, I'm coming to the book of uh, um, Romans, uh, chapter 9, and I'm coming to a very difficult passage there where he says, for this purpose I raise you up, referring to Pharaoh. Um, I have difficulty uh, balancing two things, the sovereignty of God, where God is in absolute control, and the moral responsibility of humankind that God has decided in his sovereignty to deal with man on the basis of human choice. And I believe that um, uh, God influences people to, uh, in a certain direction, but I believe that people ultimately make the choice in, in terms of uh, their own destiny. Uh, I am not one that is disposed to believe that a man is born into this world and he has no choice whatsoever, and God creates him saying, I damn you, I save you, I damn you, I save you. I have great difficulty in believing in biblical morality if you hold that position. But I do believe that God is sovereign. Uh, and that, uh, By the way, I do believe that God has charted the course of history. But I don't believe that, that God causes a man to commit sin. Uh, the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted any man to do evil. So whatever God does, whatever influence He does, uh, it cannot be that God pushes a person to deliberately do evil. To do that would mean that the man is not responsible. And the other thing, uh, Nathan, I might say about this, I have a problem uh, uh, believing that man is not doesn't make his own choice, he makes his own decision. When I read in the Bible, uh, Bible verses that whosoever will may come, those verses mock me if I don't have a choice to make. Because why offer me a choice if you know I cannot make a choice? To my mind, you are deliberately deceiving me, and God is not deceptive. So I take those verses very literally. Uh, I don't know if I answered the question to your satisfaction, but I am saying that God is in absolute control. He's sovereign, but God in His sovereignty has decided to act on the basis of human choice. Uh, I do believe that God raises up certain people to do certain ministries and do certain things. Uh, for example, Cyrus was raised up six, 800 years before that he would be the one that would send the Jews back to Israel. But again, I think that if we could see what God can see, and everything that God is in the present, 
there's no past, present, or future. And I think that's part of the difficulty that we have. We see it in a timeline, but God sees everything uh, as it is in one moment. And I think that creates a problem for us. But I cannot see um, God raising up somebody to, to and deliberately push them to do evil. That is unparalleled to me. I find it interesting that you brought up Pharaoh, because that's exactly where I was going to go. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a verse, and I don't have it in front of me, but it talks about God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. So walk me through. Did God harden his heart? Did Pharaoh harden his heart first? Yes, or? that's the point I make. Uh, interesting point. It, you, you, it, to understand that passage, you've got to go back to the Exodus. And you will find that the Lord told uh, Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to do it. But if you read the sequence, you can see that Pharaoh hardened his heart four times before God finally hardened Pharaoh's heart. So what I'm saying to you is that God saw exactly what he would do, and that was part of his judicial judgment. But God didn't just say, I'm going to harden your heart and nothing you can do. It's because of the acts of his self-hardening that God finally hardened his heart. And that, that is, that's what I'm trying to understand. He sees everything in the presence of his speakers. He speaks of the future as though it's the present. But when you look at the logical sequence historically, you see that Pharaoh hardened his heart four different times before God finally hardened his heart. So I think once we begin to grasp that, I think it helps us to understand uh, how God deals with us. But I am totally convinced, Nathan, there cannot be any kind of morality. I cannot be held responsible for any moral act if I don't have a choice. You can't. How is that possible? And therefore, if God deals with us on the basis of morality, it means that there's a real choice that we must make. And and by the way, if that were not true, it would mean that God is responsible for evil. Because if he is, if I have to, if he's coercing me to sin, and he coerced uh, Adam to sin, that puts us in a position where we don't have a God any longer. We have a monster for God. But the fact is that God has, in his sovereignty, decided to deal with man on the basis of... Now, once you come to that conclusion on the basis of choice, then you can understand he making you and you making a choice, and there's no coercion that you do wrong. See, uh, That's my um, theological understanding of the Scriptures. And I, I try to maintain God's sovereignty. At the same time, I've got to balance that with God's justice and God's uh, righteousness. One cannot go against the other. We are really excited that you're listening to the program tonight. Do you believe that the Bible has the answer to everything that you face in life? We here at the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse believe that, and I know Pastor Murphy believes it also. And if you have a question, no matter how difficult it may be, we would be glad for you to give us a call. Maybe it's something that, a personal issue, and you don't want to deal with it over the air. We understand that. You can give Pastor a call at the church, uh, Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Pastor, do you have that phone number in front of you? For church phone? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, 462-4230. 268-4230. 462-4230. All right. You 4230. Can, you can call uh, Grace Baptist Church and set up an appointment with Pastor or whatever may be needed. But if you have a question that you would like answered from the Bible, we still have 20 minutes left here in the program tonight. You can give us a call. The phone line is available, 268-462-7420, or you can WhatsApp or text the question to 268-782-1454. Pastor, no beating around the bush with this question. Is the Antichrist alive today? 
Well, the simple answer that you, I can give to you is that no one knows. <laughs> uh, we could speculate, uh, we can conjecture, but it's just a presumption and a hypothesis uh, for anybody to suggest that the Antichrist is alive. Uh, by the way, I think people have heard the name Gene Dixon. Uh, I don't know if people heard that name. Gene Dixon, the false prophet that uh, many people believed in. Uh, she wrote a book in the um, in her book called My Life and Prophecies. Uh, she prophesied that in February 5th, 1962, in the Middle East, one would be born at 7.17 a.m. who would lead the entire world. Uh, she wrote in the book, and I quote, she said that this one would possibly be a direct descendant of the royal line of Pharaoh, Akhenaten and Queen Nefer Nefertari. Uh, will, he will revolutionize the world. He said there is no doubt that he will fuse multitudes into all an all-embracing doctrine. He will form a new Christianity based on his almighty power, but leading man in a different direction, far removed from the teaching of the life of Christ. That is found on page 179 to 180. This is the woman, by the way, that a lot of people give a lot of credibility to, claim that she's a real prophet. But is she's saying that um, in that the she had this revelation in 1962, uh, this person will be born on February 5th. It would mean that if that were true, the Antichrist today would be 58 years old, right? Um, listen, this is all uh, speculation, quite frankly. And... Uh, what we need to be very, very careful is to understand that we're not supposed to follow uh, false prophets. And uh, If a person is trying to reveal something that's not in Scripture, you can be alert because the Bible is complete. There's nothing to be added to any prophecy outside of Scripture. And any man that comes on the scene that offers any, any biblical uh, prophecy that goes contrary to Scripture, that person is completely false and ought not to be listened to. Jean Dixon is a false prophet. She's false. And uh, what she said didn't happen. While the Antichrist is not, uh, we don't know if he's alive or not, we do know one thing, an Antichrist spirit is, a, is abroad on planet Earth. Uh, John tells us about that in 1 John chapter 2. He says there are many Antichrists already, and then he said the Antichrist you've heard is going to come. The spirit of the Antichrist is certainly here, and it's menacing the world, and so that there is seem to be uh, a total Antichristian, Antichrist uh, uh, spirit I am told by the way that the religion most persecuted today is Christianity and I think that is part of the, the anti-spirit that is there um, while we don't know if the Antichrist is alive or not uh, we do know that Christ is coming back and the Lord has two messages one for the world is escape for your life uh, flee the wrath to come. You need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It says to the church, you need to remember uh, what you used to be. You need to repent of what you are. You need to renew your commitment to God. So let us not focus on the whether or not he's alive, the Antichrist is alive. We know that one thing is that Christ is alive, and let us make sure we listen to his commands and follow his directives that we give in Scripture. So I, I can't, um, in any uh, dogmatic statement, um, I, I don't know. Uh, but chances are, if he is, um, he is being prepared and, and uh, for the eventuality. But we wouldn't be here when that occurs, so it doesn't really matter to the Christian church. The world will have to grapple with that when he comes in the world scene. You talked a little bit there about prophets and people making uh, prophetic statements. Now, I know that if a person 
makes a prophecy against something that is in Scripture, mark it off, they're a false prophet. But, Pastor, what about, there are so many people out there that say, oh, I had got this revelation or I had this dream. What if they're not necessarily going directly against anything that's in Scripture, but they are maybe filling in some gray areas that we aren't given details? Is that a sign of a false prophet, or how do you discern that? I, I have actually got a letter recently. Uh, I was going to read it in the church. I actually forgot it on my desk. Uh, a woman in England um, said she had a dream, uh, something about uh, a tsunami coming or something like that, and so on and so forth. And that uh, the Lord told her to warn everybody like that, and so on and so forth. I really didn't pay too much attention to it, to be very honest with you. Um, if a tsunami comes, a tsunami comes. You can't stop a tsunami if it comes. Uh, and I am very leery of anybody claiming to be a prophet today. If you read the book of Ecclesi uh, Ephesians, it said that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the prophets laid the foundation of the church and the apostles laid the foundation of the church. Now you've got the superstructure called the church. In other words, the prophetic office is gone. And when I say the prophetic office, I mean the prophetic office in respect to speaking things about the future. The Bible is complete. God has given us exactly what He wants us to know about Scripture and about what's going to come in the world. So we don't need prophets today. We need preachers, we need pastor teachers, but the prophetic gift is no longer applicable uh, in terms of this generation. God has told us all he, we need to know. Uh, having said that, uh, I do not discount the possibility of... Um, for example, uh, take Spurgeon. I'll use an example of Spurgeon. I remember that, um, or was it George Mueller? I can't remember which of those, but I think it was Spurgeon or one of them. But uh, uh, they've had people who they had a particular need, and the Lord spoke to those people directly uh, to give to that particular need. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The, the, it was not a coincidence. It was like they heard a voice, not an audible voice, but an inward voice saying, listen, you, this guy needs this thing. You need to take it to give that. I have no problem with that. That's called guidance, right? Uh, but I, I am very, very leery of anybody trying to make a prophetic word as to what will happen in the future. Uh, we need to be very, very, very careful about that. Um, I don't toy with it, and I think that the, there's no biblical ground for the prophetic office today. Uh, they pass the teachers, but we don't need the prophetic gift because the foundation is already laid for the church. You don't, you don't, you don't start the superstructure and start rebuilding the foundation again. That's why there are no apostles again, by the way, today. Uh, there are no living apostles, but they've got a movement in the States, by the way, that now they are trying to create apostles, trying to create prophets, and you go and buy, you learn how to be an apostle, you learn how to be a prophet. How is that possible? <laughs> but that's the age in which we're living. People are people are trying to, they're, they're not prepared to take the biblical truth and live on the biblical truth. They're looking for, and the Bible says that the evil generation that seeks signs and wonders. Remember Christ said that, right? A, a godly people follow Scripture and want to be guided by Scripture, but an evil generation looking for something outside of Scripture. Pastor, we have a caller, Nathan, calling from Nevis. Thank you for the call, Nathan. Go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Hi, good evening, sir. Um, I'm asking about who are the elect in, as written in Matthew chapter 24. Uh -huh. Who are the elect? It's except those they should be shot in no flesh should be saved but for the elect yeah. those they are shot the, the elect the elect is those mentioned in the book of um, Romans chapter um, 
chapter 11, the elect according to grace. That has to do with the Jewish people. Matthew chapter 24 has to do with the tribulation period. Church will not be here during the tribulation period. So those are dealing with the, the, the Jewish people that um, except those days be shortened because the Antichrist's anger and his wrath and his rage is going to be against Israel. If you read, uh, I think it's Revelation chapter 12, where the dragon is trying to destroy the woman who flees into the wilderness and is given a time of sanctuary, it's very, very clear that the Antichrist is going to destroy Israel. In Daniel chapter 9, where he signs a peace track with Israel for seven years, and then in the midst of the seven years, he breaks the covenant and sets up his image and uh, sacrifices... Um, 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 on, on the altar it's called the ab abomination of desolation but that entire Matthew section is dealing with the Jewish remnant during the time of the tribulation period so the elect there are really referring to the Jewish remnant that are going to be saved out of the tribulation period okay okay have a good night thank, thank you. you very much for your call we appreciate it Nathan good to hear your voice and continue to listen continue to invite others to tune into the program have you been enjoying Pastor Murphy's teaching this evening, his teaching style? Maybe you're a new listener to The Lighthouse. Maybe you aren't regularly listening on a Sunday evening. Well, let me invite you to tune in to Sermons of Grace. Uh, several times tonight, Pastor has referenced the Book of Romans. And in this radio program, Sermons of Grace, which airs at 8.15 every Sunday evening, Pastor is going through the Book of Romans verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and expounding on it. Be sure you tune in. We also, if you are in Antigua and you are looking for a good Bible teaching church, if you are part of a Bible teaching church, we are not trying to pull you away from that. If that's where God has you planted, stay there, serve, minister. But if you're looking for a good Bible teaching church, we would love to have you come visit us at Grace Baptist Church on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The Sunday service follows at 10 a.m. And then the evening service at 7 p.m. And the Thursday evening service is our midweek service, and that is at 7 p.m. And that alternates between prayer and Bible study. Again, we'd love to have you come visit. Nathan, let me inject something here and add to what you just said. Uh, we also have a Sunday school on Sunday evening at 4.30 for children. Uh, we've discovered that parents seem not to be sending the kids on Sunday morning to Sunday school, so we've actually started a Sunday school that is on Sunday evening. We currently have about 26 kids at a 10, and it seems to be a growing ministry. So if you can't send your child to Sunday school on Sunday morning, uh, we have a service there on Sunday evening at 4.30 until about 6 o'clock. We provide some very light refreshment as well for the children. And the other thing, we'll be starting very shortly uh, a children's church on Sunday mornings for children. So we'll let you know about that. But we, we, we hope that you will give us an opportunity uh, to minister to your kids and to yourself. You're listening to That's Truth. I'm going to give you the contact information one more time. We've got about six minutes left in the program. If you have a question, send it in really fast via WhatsApp or text to 268-782-1454. Pastor, what happens to the Antichrist in the end? Well, obviously, you, you, you can't raise your fist against God without suffering the consequences. And even what God may endure in his patience to, uh, for his own eternal purpose to bring about um, his design end. The truth of the matter is that he's going to suffer a very sudden, violent, earthly uh, death. 
uh, and it's prophesied in the scriptures, and then he'll be eternally confined uh, to the lake of fire. Nathan, if you look at uh, two passages that indicates that, Second Thessalonians two eight. Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter, two, uh, chapter two and verse, verse eight. eight says, "And then shall the wicked, that wicked, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming." If you, you remember, we, we looked at that already. That's the Antichrist coming and seeing the son of perdition, the man of sin. Uh, but notice that the Lord is going to deal with him specifically when Christ returns. He will be he will be destroyed uh, by our Lord's uh, divine action and intervention. And then in Revelation chapter nineteen, uh, verses twenty nineteen and twenty to twenty one, you see what kind of judgment you're going to suffer there in Revelation chapter nineteen, verse nineteen and twenty one. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with Could you read the next verse after that? Because that's a, a, a very... Uh, that's the last verse in that chapter. Okay. You want me to do the first no, verse? No, it's, it's okay. Um, you notice there that he's going to be cast in a lake of fire. Uh, so this is his doom. This is his eternal doom. And then there's a verse in there which says that the smoke of the torment should rise up uh, uh, forever and forever unto the ages of the ages. It's in that, that particular passage. In other words, he will suffer the eternal damnation uh, with the uh, the beasts and uh, all those that are part of his conspiracy and those who receive the mark of the beast. Um, but So he is going to be destroyed by the Lord himself, but then he will suffer eternal consequences uh, in the, the, the lake of fire where he will stay there eternally. By the way, you'll find that in Revelation chapter 20, when the dragon is cast into the lake of fire and destroyed, that is Satan. It is said where the beasts and the false prophet are. And by the way, that's a thousand years after the beast and the and the false prophet are in the lake of fire. Mm. Yet a thousand years after the Satan is, is cast, and they're still alive. So those that suggest to us that there's no such thing as eternal punishment, read those passages together. You see that it. Uh, they're not that they were where the beasts were, but where they are in Revelation chapter 20 when Satan is finally cast. So the dragon would join them as well a thousand years later when God finally deals with him. So that talks about the fact that he will suffer eternal punishment. Very interesting. I, I hadn't made that connection before, but reading those verses is pretty sobering. Now when it says that uh, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, sitting on the horse, that's Jesus? It's just Christ, just Christ. That's, and we didn't read the whole chapter because we don't have time, time is limited, but if you read the whole chapter, this is when Christ returned in all of his glory and begins to bring his wrath on the, on the beast and his kingdom, and the beast and the false prophet, all of them, meet uh, Christ meets them and destroys them, and then he confines them to an eternal damnation. And uh, That's the point I'm making, but any any person who's listening can actually read chapter 19 and see this referring to Christ coming back on the horse, and the 
remnant of his kingdom are then destroyed and suffer the same consequence of going into the lake of fire as well. Now, it says that Christ destroyed them with a sword, a sword that proceeded out of his mouth. Is that saying his word? Is that a proverbial? Word. That's all he needs. Remember, God spoke the world into existence by his word. Yeah. Uh, Two-fifths, we understand that the world was made by the uh, things that are made by the word of God. It just takes a word from him. To, to totally obliterate um, the, the, the beast and, his, and the false prophets. Uh, he doesn't have to engage in any kind of a battle with a sword or a gun. The Word of God is sufficient to, to, um, to just completely deal with the, the beast. And, the, and all of his enemies can be dealt with by just speaking a word. The same God that speaks the world into existence, the same God can speak man out of existence if he wanted to. So that, that's the power of the Word. That's an amazing God and an amazing power to, to think about what he has done and what he can do with the word. Can you imagine if we had the faith to believe as we should? Wow. Uh, he said, you know, if you believe that you can do this, you can do the next. The problem is us, it's our faith. We, we, we laugh. And then he said, if you had a grain of mustard faith, faith, it's not a big faith, but a real measure of faith, uh, we could do things that uh, are really, really spectacular. But that's the problem with us. It's uh, the matter of having faith. But again, remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we want faith, that faith is cultivated by us the more we get into the Word of God. Now, Pastor... You mentioned that we shouldn't become obsessed with the Antichrist. But again, just as we wrap this up, why should we even study about the Antichrist? Why have we spent a week a week and a half of uh, That's Truth programs talking about this if we're not supposed to become obsessed? Well, we're not. Look, we're supposed to be informed believers. God wants intelligent believers. Now, you read the, the, the Paul in his writings. He said, Brother, I would not have you to be ignorant. Uh, if these things are revealed to the church and revealed to us, it's right and proper that we should understand these biblical principles. And there are other things, by the way, we can't understand the book of Daniel, for example, and the book of Revelation unless we're able to identify whose characters are coming on the, on the scene. So it's right and proper that we should get an intelligent understanding of Scripture because it's something that what is revealed to us is revealed to God's people, and we ought to be informed in these matters. Pastor, can you, in the last few seconds here, just share with me, how do you know that you are a Christian? What makes you a Christian? What makes a person a Christian is they put their faith and trust in Christ. Upon the path, the Holy Spirit convicts them, they repent of their sins, and they see Christ as their only hope. That is what salvation is about. So it's nothing that I can do. Nothing you can do, no church you can join, uh, no tablet you can take. It's just faith and faith in Christ, but repentance is a vital part of that. Repent and believe and put your faith in Christ. But that's too easy. Well, uh, that's how God has designed it. He's not a complicated God. He speaks to the simplest person. Even babes can understand biblical truth. And uh, man complicates things, but God speaks. You know, in Genesis, it just took one sentence to create the world. And the beginning God created. Science can't even comprehend that and can't explain it. In those simple Thank you terms. for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. 
If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.